I think it's just going back to the value of your time as a business owner and you know if it's not income generating or if it doesn't require your brain there probably is somebody else who you can outsource it to and I don't necessarily mean a virtual assistant you know it could be a copywriter it could be a web designer and quite often these people can do it far more quickly and possibly even to a better standard sometimes. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the founders who have successfully scaled their own businesses. On this episode, we welcome Victoria Tredis to the program. Victoria is a former executive assistant that became a virtual assistant before starting her current company, VA Matchmaker. VA Matchmaker helps take confusion and the complexity of using virtual assistants. She matches entrepreneurs with the skill sets that they need. In this episode, Victoria shares how utilizing VAs can improve your productivity by 5 to 10x by outsourcing non-value-added tasks in your business and also in your personal life. This is going to be a way of life sooner rather than later, so the sooner you can learn to leverage these types of services, the better for you. The key is to be organized and clear on what you can outsource. The questions we answer today are how VAs are not restricted by geography, why alignment on expectations and communications are two critical success factors, why you should absolutely keep to-do lists if you're an entrepreneur, how to easily document key processes and operating procedures within your business, and why you need to know the value of your to-do list. Before I take you to the intro, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you like, subscribe, and share the podcast on iTunes and your preferred podcast platforms so we can better help other entrepreneurs grow their businesses. Also, please make sure you check out the new free resources page on brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T-T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com forward slash resources for downloads, promos, and to sign up for our new monthly newsletter. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hello, Victoria. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's great to have you and you know, the international reach of this podcast uh, continues to grow as you're joining us from Nottingham in the UK, correct? I am, yes. Robin Hood country. You may have heard of it. <laughs> I was, but I wasn't 100% sure, so I wasn't going down that path. And that's, where is that, central central UK? That's right, yeah. It's called, it's called the Midlands. So it's about 200 miles north of, of London. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. And so to get started, what I usually like to do is, you know, ask the guests to kind of talk about, you know, what you're up to today, what the team at VA Matchmaker is doing to to kind of kick us off. Fabulous. No, thank you. So yeah, I am a VA matchmaker. So what I do is I work with clients who are thinking about outsourcing to a virtual assistant, but perhaps don't quite know where to start. Now, I've only been doing this for about the last nine months or so, because prior to that, I actually worked as an executive assistant for many, many years. I've worked in um, Melbourne and Australia and also down in London before starting to work as a virtual assistant. And when I did that, I actually 
actually worked really closely with another VA and together we provided this kind of buddy up cover type thing between us, which meant that clients were able to receive this really beautiful continuity of service when one of us was on holiday or away from the desk. So I did that for about three years and then I thought, you know what, I, I know how to do this job really, really well. I'd love to run my own business. Let's just give it a go. You know, I felt like I was kind of in my mid thirties and I owed it to myself to at least try running a business given that I knew how to do the whole VA thing so well. So I launched my business as a virtual assistant in 2016. And actually I went to scale it pretty early because again, going back to that whole buddy thing with the other VA when I was in the employed role, I knew how many benefits it could bring to both me as a business owner, knowing that I have reliable team members behind the scenes, but also from a client perspective, it meant that I was able to provide that continuity of service. So that's how I kind of scaled and grew my business um, by working with other virtual assistants to help service my clients. And then early on in the year in 2019, I actually moved into the online business manager space. So I'm kind of more of a project manager now but also work with VAs and also hire VAs for clients. So moving into the whole VA matchmaking space felt like a really natural progression in terms of my career, because not only am I really well connected with virtual, virtual assistants based on the work that I've done, but also I know the pain points that clients have when they're trying to hire a virtual assistant into their own team, because I've been through all of that myself. So yeah, VA matchmaking is, is what I'm doing now. And it, it, feel, it feels really good. It feels really aligned to be helping people in this way. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, my uneducated opinion about this space is knowing that we are moving more towards gig economy and folks are treating careers more as projects. I know that's super simplistic, but and it makes a lot of sense. But I do want to go back a little bit because you, you, know, you spent most of your career in the corporate side and then made the leap to, you know, a virtual assistant, right, or executive assistant, essentially you were running your own business as a business of one at that point. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And um, like I said, just wanted to, well, I think going back to your gig economy point, you know, the great thing about working virtually or working remotely is that you're not stuck in this um, talent pool based on geographical location. You're suddenly opening yourself up to so many different people and skills and experiences that can be complementary to your business. So I think, you know, I had a couple of options where I could either hire people who were kind of offering the same kind of service as me, but I could have taken it another way and hired in people who could offer completely complementary services to me and therefore add to my service model as well. No, that, that makes sense. And I know you, you talked about the perfect segue into the, to the pain point. So then when you move from kind of the VA to the, the company that you're running now, which is the, the matchmaker, what was the pain point that you were trying to solve that you had saw that, you know, you, obviously you could do more than just a one-on-one -a -on -one work as, as a VA? What, what kind of led you to, to start the, the, the broader, the bigger company? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question, actually, because I feel like there needs to be a huge education piece in terms of what virtual assistants can do and how they can support a business. So if you think about the, the title virtual assistant, it's very similar to a coach. So 
it's almost as though the word coach doesn't do a coach justice because it could be a business coach, a money mindset coach. It could be a personal training coach. There's so many different ramifications of that particular word that it's difficult to kind of sum it up by using that single word coach. And it's exactly the same for virtual assistants. So I feel like there's a lot of mismatched expectations in terms of what clients want from the virtual assistant and what the virtual assistant expects from the client. So I'd like to go in there from an education perspective and kind of manage expectations so that there are better matched relationships so that both sides of the, of the relationship are having more fulfilling relationships and, you know, better engagement between the two of them. So it really is because I want to stop that those mismatched communications and that um, those mismatched relationships that I started doing this in the first place. Yeah, I think that that's a great idea. I've been experimenting a little bit, and this was a, a while back with outsourcing some of the tasks. <laughs> but yeah. what I found myself doing was working one on one with a, a couple of different companies that provided certain services. But I was kind of chasing the shiny object, <laughs> right? Where somebody mm-hmm. like you probably would have been very helpful to say, hey, before you make this investment in doing this, these types of tasks, you know, where does this fit into the, the broader picture? So it's one of those lessons learned that, you know, it, not that there wasn't value to it, but the timing wasn't right. And it was, like I said, chasing, chasing this shiny object. And, you know, that's one of the, not only, one of the reasons I'm going to have you on the show is just kind of talk about this service and the value it can be to, to business owners who are looking to, to scale their business and really understand at a deeper level what it is. I think to your point, talk about people have different versions of, of what a VA is and how it works. So, so maybe that's a good segue into let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into, you know, kind of the VA world and, you know, how different people are, are leveraging, you know, that skill set. Sure. No, that's a great question. And I think, you know, as a, as a business owner listening to this, the easiest way to kind of work out whether outsourcing is a good use for you or a, a good option for your business is to think of your tasks on your to-do list in monetary value. And I'm going to throw some numbers out there. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's the number that you charge for your services or the amount that you would need to pay. I'm just using it as a, as a differentiation. So if you think of income generating tasks as $1,000. So they could be things like your, if you're a a coach, they could be your one-on-one coaching calls. It could be anything that you do that has to require your brain and your time. So those would be your $1,000 tasks. The next one down would be your $100 tasks. So those are tasks that do need your input to a certain degree, but once you've kind of finished with it, you can then pass it over to somebody else. So in that instance, you might think about blog post writing. So maybe you write your blog post, but then you do the formatting and the uploading to WordPress. That side is actually delegated to somebody else. And then there's the $10 tasks. So these are things that they don't require your brain at all, but somebody else needs to do them. So that could be sifting through your website to try and figure out broken links. It could be copying content from one, like your Twitter feed onto your Facebook feed or something like that. So by thinking of your tasks in terms of $1,000, which is the stuff that only you can do, $100, the stuff that could be delegated after you've given a little bit of direction, or the $10 tasks, you should be able to easily work out which items are the best use of your time and which could potentially be delegated to somebody else who 
could either do them more cheaply than you or could perhaps even do them to a better quality because quite often the tasks that are falling down your to-do list aren't necessarily things that you're particularly good at or you like doing anyway. So there's always kind of a, an alternative option in terms of how you how you can make best use of your time by by outsourcing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, more simplistic, right? The value added tasks, right? Where are you adding the most value to the business? Focus your time there. And if you're spending your time, as I know all too well, <laughs> on blog posts and formatting, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So, and I think, you know, when, when folks first hear this, does this mean I have to, you know, work with three different virtual assistants to do different things based on skill set? Where, you know, how do, how do you approach that? And I'm, I'm yeah. again, guessing that that's where the value of your business comes in. You help people manage, you know, what they need. Yeah, exactly. And you're quite right, actually. You know, quite often, depending on what type of items you have on your to-do list that you feel comfortable delegating, you may need a skill set of three different people. Because, you know, I've written a blog post about if you're waiting for a unicorn VA, you're never going to grow your business because it would be brilliant if I was fantastic at, you know, Google ads and Facebook ads and bookkeeping and client control and customer service and data entry, you know, but realistically, I can't do all of these things really well. And sometimes it can be very unrealistic to expect one virtual assistant to be able to do all all of those things. So, quite often it makes good business sense to look at the types of skill sets that are on your to-do list and those tasks that you're looking to outsource and try and like bunch them together. So are there a load of WordPress tasks that would make sense for a particular techie VA? Are there a load of customer service-based tasks that would be more, you know, customer service-centric VA and so on and so on. Now, you, you may find somebody with very complementary skill sets who can tick through a lot of those, but sometimes you may need to consider widening in that reach and employing sorry and hiring more than one person so that you do cover cover all of those tasks and cover them well no and that that makes a lot of sense and and maybe even taking it a step further if uh, somebody's thinking about how that makes sense i'm not good with blog posts i could use some help with you know either the content creation or the or the formatting but I also have some other you know, tasks like bookkeeping or some expense type work. Do most of the virtual assistants work ad hoc or is it a contractual or some combination of the two? What's the best way for a, a business owner to kind of think about those resources? There are a few different options. So the, the I guess that the entry level point would be a pay-as-you-go contract. So that's where the VA typically charges by the hour and there's not really a lot of commitment in terms of hours either side. So it's a really good way to find your feet with a virtual assistant and potentially build up the momentum and trust as you go on. So um, pay-as-you-go contracts would be your kind of entry level point. Now, the good thing about that is, like I said, you can kind of try before you buy, you can try before you commit a little bit further down the line. But the downside would be that potentially, because there's no commitment either side, they might not have availability to do your work within the time frame that you need it. So they're not guaranteeing, they're not saving any space for you. So if you need quite tight turnaround times, you might be better off going with an, a monthly retainer contract or a block okay. booking. So that's where you would be securing so many hours per month of that VA's time and it's guaranteed availability. So 
this depends, like the, the, the actual amount depends, but even something like say 10 hours a month, that would give you roughly 30 minutes of availability per day. So if you're, if you're wanting to build an ongoing relationship with a virtual assistant and perhaps there's value to be had from them knowing the ins and outs of your business on a daily basis, then something like a retainer or a block booking allows you to build up that relationship and build up that momentum over time as well. So that's kind of for ongoing business relationships. But then there's also project-based pricing as well. So this might be where you just need a very, very specific skill set. So to give you an example, maybe you're creating a membership site and you need a tech VA to do all the techie stuff behind the scenes. So there's a clear beginning, there's a clear end, there's a specific outcome in mind, and they'll price for that based on the completion and the outcome. So those are your three main pricing tiers. You've got pay-as-you-go, project, uh, sorry, retainer or um, block bookings, and then also project-based pricing as well. No, that makes sense. And it builds some flexibility and which, it, which is kind of nice. And I guess my, my follow-up or the next question is if somebody's going to dive into this for the first time, you know, I, I get, I don't say spammed, I get quite a few <laughs> invitation requests through LinkedIn from you know, potential VAs. And if, you know, a founder is, is looking to, you know, test this type of service and they don't, everybody should be using your service because you can take some of the guesswork out of it. But if, if somebody was going to go it alone, you know, what's kind of the best way to vet and understand, you know, the, the quality of the, the potential VA? Yeah, no, that's a brilliant question. And I think it comes down to doing your due diligence. So just like you would with any client that you're taking on, you want to know that they're reputable and that they can do the work that they say they're going to do. So the first thing, particularly through LinkedIn, the great thing about it is that you can click on their profile and look at the testimonials that they've already received. So it may be that some of those people who have given the testimonial are in a similar space to you and you might want to reach out to them and you know ask, ask any further questions if they haven't covered it in that testimonial themselves. You can also go over to their website, just check, you know, does their... Does their tone of voice align with your brand nicely? You know, for instance, let's say you're from the, the corporate world, you might want somebody who's slightly more formal than somebody who's a bit more chatty. You know, it, it's little things like that to make sure that they complement your brand. And then you can go on to have a consultation with them as well. And the types of questions you need to be asking are things like, you know, what availability do you have to take me on as a client? Because if you want them to be doing, say, 30 hours a month, but they've only got space for 10 now, then there's going to be some kind of mismatch and it's, you know, it's not going to work, work very well. So what availability do you have to take me on as a client? What kind of experience do you have? And then also ask questions specifically related to the tasks that you're looking to assign. So for instance, here in the UK, and we mentioned bookkeeping, so I'll, I'll bring that in now. So if you're doing bookkeeping here in the UK, you need to be registered with a certain body in order to be able to do that, or you need to prove that you're exempt from doing that. So you want to be asking questions that are relevant to the tasks that they're doing to make sure that they're complying with the regis- uh, legislation in their particular country. And then also things like, you know, how, how would we communicate on a daily basis? Are they saying that you should be using a online task manager or are they saying that you'd be better off having a weekly phone call to check in with one another? So agreeing how you would best communicate, you, want, you both need to be on the same page. It's so, so important. 
And then things like, you know, pricing and contracts. And here in the UK, we need to issue a data processing agreement as well. So I would be wary of any VA who is keen to start work without at least a contract in place, because the contract at the end of the day is there to protect both parties. And even if you decide to do a trial for five hours, say, on a pay-as-you-go basis, still put the contract in place because it manages expectations in terms of turnaround times, who's paying what and when, and all of that good stuff as well. So yeah, hopefully that's a good starting point. Just doing your due diligence, having the consultation, and then maybe going for that initial trial on a pay-as-you-go basis, but only when a contract is in place. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of really good insights there. I think the the biggest one that I took away is definitely communication preferences. It seems such a small nuance, but it could be a really big you know, deal depending on, on how they want to communicate. And two, I think you, you talked about it was the expectations, right? So if I'm contracting with you, if I send you something, you know, at 2 p.m. Central on, you know, Thursday, and I want to have that turned around by Friday morning, I, it, it's probably not going to happen. Maybe they can make it happen. But I think by not setting clear expectations on turnaround times is, and again, you can tell me if I'm wrong, is one of the bigger probably frustrations that you could end up with with a, uh, with a VA. Yeah, and that you're completely right. And I think it comes back to, like you said, about the communication. So when you're assigning a task, you need to be thinking of things like, have I been really clear on what it is I want and what the end result needs to look like? But also, is this task within the skill set of the virtual assistant? And have I given a realistic deadline as well as opportunities for them to come back to me with any questions that they might have? So it's only when you can answer those truthfully that you can set yourself up for success, really. Yeah, that, that's that's true and great great advice. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about as you were walking through that are the VAs becoming a little more sophisticated again. I think that's where your service comes in to help manage the different you know projects and and needs. But you know, I was thinking from a deliverable standpoint, if you're going to do some blog posts, is it coming through? you know, Google Docs or those types of things. Are you seeing more sophistication or maybe not even sophistication, but more process driven approaches within, within this space? Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it comes down to going from, say, coming from the corporate world and you have an IT department who you can call up with any kind of technical difficulties to actually go in, oh, actually, you know, now I'm the IT department and now I have to sort everything out. But the good thing about that from a technology side is that you can be really agile in terms of the technology that you're using and the systems that you're putting in place behind your own business, because then that then replicates really nicely with what you're doing with your clients as well. So both in terms of the technology that you use and the communication that you you choose to um, go like the communication route you choose to go down we can use technology to our advantage so even task management systems now not only can you share be sharing these shared boards but you can also have conversations going on perhaps through slack or asana conversations just so that it doesn't feel like you're both working in silo you're actually being a lot more collaborative through this technology as well yeah that makes sense and do you find most of the vas will adapt to the businesses systems or is there is that part of the kind of the vetting process to see what's going to work best for both parties i think there's a bit of both to be honest with you because sometimes when you're coming in to a business 
you might not think that they're working in the smartest way, but it's actually too early for you to go in there and start throwing your weight around with a few, you know, recommendations on smarter ways of working. So what I tend to do is kind of go in and, you know, poke around and see what kind of systems and infrastructure is going on behind the scenes, but then maybe gently make, just make some suggestions in terms of how they could work smarter or add some efficiencies behind the scenes. So for instance, with one particular client at the moment, I've kind of gone, look, we've got too many emails going on. You're not using the task manager that you've put into place. So can we please just have a weekly call? Because then I can maximize the time that I have with you. 30 minutes, I'll tick through all of the tasks. I'll gain the direction that I need. We've immediately cut down on 50 different emails that you're not going to read anyway. And I can actually move forward. So it can certainly be a better use of somebody's time sometimes just to pick up the phone and have that, have that call. hundred yeah, percent agree. With that. <laughs> the amount of email that goes back and forth, you could have had a, a 10 minute call to, to iron yeah. out most of it. So I agree with you on that. So one of the things we were chatting about just a little bit before the call started was some of the tasks that, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs, right, that have that life balance, it's basically their business and, and personal life. There's some tasks, maybe not in the business world that you could look to outsource to, to give you some additional free time. So can you maybe expand on, you know, some of the other areas outside of, you know, bookkeeping and blog posts that, that you've seen some other business owners utilize? Absolutely. And I'm testament to this myself, to be honest with you, because there's so much going on in our heads as business owners that it it all comes under this banner of mental load. So we've got this clutter going on in our brain of everything that we need to do in our business. But then we've got after school clubs and swimming clubs and food shopping and trying to keep the house organized and all of that good stuff. And so I've got, I've got two main tips for this. And the first one is to just get everything out of your head and into some kind of to-do list, because the more you keep in your head, the more cluttered it's going to feel. And by getting it either written down with pen and paper or on some kind of task management system, it doesn't matter, but it just means that you can get it out of your head and you're freeing up that space again. And the other thing is to look at those tasks that are then on your to-do list and think, is there actually somebody who can do this for me? Is it a good use of my time to do maybe the cleaning or the ironing or, you know, the meal planning or the dog walking on certain days? Because you might be able to outsource some of that as well. And the resistance that I get most often with this is, well, I can walk the dog and I can do the cooking myself and I can do the ironing. And I'm not saying that you can't. What I'm saying is if you don't feel like it's a good use of your time, then there's going to be somebody else out there who can do it equally as well as you, maybe even better. And if you start thinking about what your hourly rate is in the business world, they can probably do it cheaper as well. So there's a lot to be said for even things like we have, I don't know if you have them over in the States, but we have these meal delivery services where they basically give you all of the ingredients. They give you a recipe. It's all in this little bag and you can cook a really healthy, fresh dinner for four within about 20 minutes. And even doing something like that means that you're not having the mental clutter going in on in your head with what we're going to have for dinner tonight have we got the ingredients in and all of that stuff as well it just frees you up so so much to outsource in lots and lots of different ways yeah i think that's such great advice and we do have that service you can go from you know fully prepared delivered to the kits that you can make yourself you know for a you know, four or five. And I think the world we're heading, not even heading to, we're there now, right? With, you know, everybody 
I don't say really talk about work-life balance, right? It's really just life (laughs) and where you choose to spend your time and energy. But knowing a business owner is investing everything just as you are, as you're growing your business to grow it. That just makes so much sense to think about the entirety of the tasks you do on a daily basis and, you know, look for, I call it non-value add, but everything has some value. But to your point on where somebody might be better, be it do it more efficiently, cheaper, you know, you look at the, your entire picture, not just what's happening in the business. I think that makes so much sense. Yeah, I think you have to. And I think, you know, let's go back to the, the example of dog walking. If dog walking is the thing that you know you can do that really clears your head and you actually gain complete clarity of mind because you can kind of mull over those business problems that you've got, but without the added pressure of actually being on to work, then keep dog walking on your list. You know, of course, keep it on your list. If there's anything on that I've just mentioned that is actually your happy place and you gain a lot of satisfaction from doing those things, then then keep it on the list. But equally, there's no shame, I don't think, in delegating what you can if you feel that it's a a good use of your time to leverage somebody else's your unhappy place right (laughs) yeah yeah, we've all got those tasks and things that you just don't like to do so if you can find somebody that does like it you know it's a a perfect trade-off so exactly i feel like i really nailed that when my daughter said uh, mommy why are you getting the iron out daddy does the ironing i was like yes yes he does (laughs) (laughs) and he does it better and it may be his happy place Uh, yeah and maybe that's why i iron badly it's all tactical (laughs) exactly it's mental um I think that, and then maybe this is a good segue. We've talked about some of the the better tips, and I love the to do list. And you're so right because when I when I started experimenting with it, I didn't have a very detailed to do list. It was this is jumping out at me. Maybe I should try this, but you know, hindsight 2020, definitely have the list and you know understand everything that you, you have to get done. And so let's let's flip it a little bit and talk about you know what are some of the top mistakes you see first time buyers of these types of services make and you know, what we're trying to do is help, you know, the audience avoid, you know, having a bad experience because there is so much value in being able to work with, with companies such as yours. Yeah. I think it comes back down to not really knowing what it is that they want and therefore not knowing what they're looking for. So it comes back to that, um, that exercise that we did earlier with the, with the income generating tasks and the a thousand dollars, a hundred and the 10. So once you've got those written down, it's really a case of going, okay, well, what kind of skills, what specific skills do I need for that? And then trying to find the person who, who has those skills in order to complete the task. And then it comes back to those questions that I mentioned earlier, which are, you know, have I communicated my task in full and have I communicated it well? Is it a realistic task? Is it within their skill set? Have I given them a deadline and have I given them the opportunity to ask questions? All of that combined will set yourself, will set you up for success with your virtual assistant. And again, it comes down to keeping the communication lines and channels open so that they can ask those questions. Because especially when you're first starting out, it can be tricky because not only are you challenged geographically because you're not in the same location, but equally you don't necessarily know when they're working on your stuff. So one of the things I recommend to clients when they're first starting out with a VA or even now, like if anybody's listening to this, they're not working with a VA yet, but they're thinking about it further down the line. What you can start doing now is recording little instructional videos. So 
I use a system called Loom, L-O-O-M. It's completely free. And what you can do the next time you're doing one of your tasks is just hit record on your screen and talk through what it is that you're doing. At the end of it, you just um, end the record button and then you download it. And what you're doing then is you're building up a library of training resources so that when your VA does come on board, you found somebody who's has all the skills that you want, you're happy with the testimonials, you've had a really good consultation, they've got the contract in place and they're ready to rock and roll, you've then got this training library that they can go through. So next time you go, or oh, I want you to upload a blog post, there's an instructions in the you know Google Drive, they can literally watch the video and do it in real time with you. So that's a really easy way to start feeling like perhaps you're scaling your business now because you're putting that infrastructure in place behind the scenes. The other thing I was just going to say is that a lot of people, when something does go wrong with a virtual assistant, they're spending a lot of mental energy worrying about what passwords have they given out and what do they need to do to offboard somebody. So before we even get there, I'm going to say for every onboarding step, make sure that there's an offboarding step. So for instance, you are going to assign them an email address through your domain so that everything looks like it's in-house. And if and when maybe the project comes to an end or maybe it doesn't work out, after your initial trial, at least then you can easily revoke access to that. And anything that remains in the account automatically gets transferred to you as the owner of the domain. But equally, when it's coming to passwords, use a system like LastPass or um, is it Dashline, LineDash, something like that, where you can share the password with somebody and they can gain access to the system, but they don't actually have to have sight of the password in order to do that. So what that means is that if and when you come to offboarding, you're then not spending half a day changing all of your passwords because you can't remember which ones you gave out and you use the password, same password for everything anyway. And they could probably guess what password it is that you use. So, <laughs> you know, so my point is for every onboarding step, make sure that you've thought about already what the potential offboarding step could be, because it will just make things a lot smoother. Like I said, when the project comes to an end or if things don't quite work out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't even thought about that. But yeah, there's the start and the end. And you're right, the passwords and just trying to keep, you know, control of your own passwords, let alone, you know, what you're what you're assigning out makes sense. And I've kind of ad hoced my way, but having a, a process, I'll have to look and I'll add those technologies that you had mentioned to the to the show notes as well. I oh, do want to go back because you mentioned uh, scaling the business. And, you know, a lot of what, you know, I focus on with, with, with this show is, is talking about taking it from, you know, a nice business to a scaling business in the process and how to do it. And one of the things I, th- I think folks think of when I'm starting to scale my business, I need to add full-time headcount in order to achieve those results. But what I'm starting to see, and I would love your perspective, is starting to leverage and utilize, you know, part-time or, I mean, I think long-winded question coming here, but when I originally thought of VA, I think, you know, administrative tasks, but I'm assuming that there is also more, um, what's the word I'm looking more, more sophisticated, you know, VAs that can provide other services within a business, maybe, you know, part-time lead generation or other areas. Is, is that, uh, 
a fair statement or a fair question? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, it comes back to what I said earlier about, you know, the whole VA title is doesn't really good, do it justice. So yes, you'll have very traditional skill set VAs who maybe they like doing the PowerPoint presentation, the diary management, the word formatting and all of that. Then there's more creative VAs who love your Canva images and maybe getting all creative with an audio file. Then there's the tech VAs as well, who really thrive getting down behind the scenes of a system and figuring out how it can be integrated within a business. So yeah, lots and lots of different types of VAs for each business. And again, it just comes back to what's on your task list and what skills would that person need in order to do that task well. But you're quite right. You know, working with a VA, you can, you know, with the pay as you go contract, it can be, be as flexible as you need it to be. You can have, you know, reliable support behind the scenes as and when you need it. There's the opportunity for the VA to flex with the peaks and troughs of your own business to a certain degree as well. And it means that you're not stuck with that, you know, that headcount head count line item on your P&L. There is a bit more flexibility with it all. Which I think is so important as you're, you're starting to scale the business. And, you know, one of the things I recommend to business owners as they're getting to that point is, is kind of document. We talked about to-do lists, but also your processes, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be super detailed, but whether it's your lead gen or lead management or sales process, you know, there's key activities that are going to take place from, you know, prospect to sale to, to post sale and delivery that if you start to identify what the key activities are in each of those processes, then you've not only had a, a to-do list based on what the owner, you know, has to do day to day, but all of a sudden now you've got a to-do list, you know, for the business. And if there's some key activities that you don't have coverage or you need help, you know, you can look at it, you know, that way as well. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Okay. I know we're starting to run a little bit short on time. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you, you think folks should know about? No, I think that's about it really. I, and I think it's just going back to the value of your time as a business owner. And, you know, if it's not income generating or if it doesn't require your brain, there probably is somebody else who you can outsource it to. And I don't necessarily mean a virtual assistant, you know, it could be a copywriter, it could be a web designer. And quite often these people can do it far more quickly and possibly even to a better standard sometimes. So, yeah, it's, it's always worth reviewing that to-do list, getting everything out of your head and then saying to yourself, is this a good use of my time? Should I think about delegating it elsewhere? Great advice. And so what's, what's next for you and the team? We are creating some products in 2020. So that's very exciting. So some guides on how people can hire a virtual assistant safely and easily, and also how you onboard a virtual assistant as well. So a lot of the not going to say complaints, but I hear a lot of chatter about, oh, I've, I've, heard of, I've hired a VA, this is amazing, but what the heck do I do now? You know, And it <laughs> comes back to the whole onboarding and for every onboarding step, there needs to be an offboarding step. So people love the idea of scaling and growing their business in this way, but they really do need to do it safely and the right way just to mitigate any kind of risk. So that comes to you know protecting your own reputation and your own brand, but also the clients that you work with as well. It's really important that you do it safely to mitigate any potential risk. So yeah, creating some products and doing series two of my own remote working podcast as well. And I hope that you'll come on the show as well, obviously. 
Absolutely. And obviously to, <laughs> some of the, those resources, and that's exciting. We may have to um, schedule some follow-up time to kind of talk about where your business is going. Cause I do think this space is still in its infancy in the sense of, you know, more and more people are going to leverage it. The sophistication is going to be there. And the more I think you can help people with process and taking, and I think your last point about taking the risk out of it is, is huge. So I'm super yeah. excited to see, you know, where this space goes. I've, I've definitely learned a lot more than I knew about this heading in today. So, so thank oh, you for that. But Good. I'm so, pleased. Excellent. So before we close, I'd like to hit you with two close or what we call the closing time section where, you know, it gives it the audience to get the chance to know you a little bit better personally. So it's just two questions, nothing overly deep, but when you're ready, let me know. Okay. Hit me with them. All right. So the first one is one thing. What is one thing that you would highly recommend? Ooh, highly recommend. I would recommend everybody goes and gets an Audible subscription. So listening to business books has been an absolute game changer, both from business perspective, but also personally as well. I don't advocate any kind of multitasking apart from listening to an audio book while you're doing a nice dog walk or something in the woods. Um, so yeah, definitely Audible, listening to business books and self-development books is a really good multitasking, good use of, good use of my time. Uh, that's a great idea. I've been toying. I, ha I do have an Audible account, but have not. I'm still more of the, the physical reader, but I 100% agree with you on the, the multitasking aspect of it. If you're going to do something, focus uh, you know, 100% on, on what you're doing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, top tip, if you can train your brain to listen to things at double speed, then you get through a book even quicker. That's good. I've been doing that with podcasts. <laughs> but it sounds kind of funny because when you hear the host in real time, you're like, wow, he talks a lot slower. Than... <laughs> but Yeah, I've, I thought the same with jingles as well. I've listened to, because I normally listen at double speed and then you listen to them at one speed. You're like, wow, I didn't realize their jingle was so slow. <laughs> exactly. But it's all about efficiency, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. So the last question and the last call, if you could only have one more beverage, kind of think of it as your last meal for a beverage, what would it be? Oh, I think I would be torn between coffee and sparkling water. And I'd have to say sparkling water because, I mean, this question's a bit easier for me because I gave up alcohol in 2018. So I feel like there's about 50 million different drinks that I no longer need to choose from. <laughs> um, and now I just have sparkling water and a champagne flute. <laughs> the, the appearance, you now you had me at, at coffee and then you lost me at sparkling water. I do like the sparkling water, but Man, in the morning, it's hard to to get moving without a good, you know, brewed coffee. So, um, but I do enjoy the sparkling water as well. So I can't can't be critical of it. So awesome. Well, if anybody is interested in learning more about you, Victoria, you know, what's the best place for them to find you and you know learn more about you? Find your podcast, all the good stuff. Yep, go to my website. It's victoriatretis.co.uk. Super easy. And I'll put that in the show notes. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what your, your podcast is about. You, you referenced it a second ago and I meant to do that up front. So shame on me for <laughs> not giving it a little bit better uh, insight before we got going. Oh, no, you're fine. It's the Remote Working Podcast and we talk about tech, team and trust. So it's for solopreneurs working from home, but also people working with remote teams as well. And series one has been a series of 10 different guest interviews where 
they are all talking about what technology they use within their business, but also how they're building trust and rapport with people who they never meet, whether that be team members or clients. So I did this because I feel like as a remote worker, it can be quite easy to feel quite isolated. So I wanted to build a bit of a sense of community with with remote workers around the world. So yeah, we've just wrapped up series one and series two will be coming out in early 2020. Can you give us a sneak peek of what series two is going to cover? I think I need to do more solo episodes, to be honest with you. And they kind of scare the hell out of me. But I think <laughs> I really need to start talking about how my knowledge can also help the uh, help the listeners as well. And then pull in some guest interviews to have complimentary themes on all of that. No, that's a great idea. And I don't know if I, I shared with you, I just released my first solo episode last week. And, you know, I, I, I started talking about it at episode 10, but I think the solo episode is actually solo is episode number 26. So <laughs> took me a little time to, to, to work it up, but you know, it's, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, Good. and it's really about just, just hitting record, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you and I, you know, we've got so much going on in our heads. We know we can give so much more to the audience. It's just a case of being brave and articulating it in such a way. But at the end of the day, we know we're going to be able to do so much good for for people by putting that putting that message out there. Exactly, exactly. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for for sharing your knowledge today. You know, I've I've learned a lot, so I'm assuming that the the audience is is uh, learned a lot, and we're much now smarter about you know the VA world and you know where we're at today and and where it's going, and, and frankly, how to you know get a better return out of your time by by leveraging folks that can help you. Perfect. No, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks, Victoria. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Solo business owners and small companies need a no-hack business growth solution to cut through the noise. Using the proven ISETT process, Brett helps businesses build stable and reliable growth plans by focusing on what's most important, insight, story, engagement, and talent. To learn more, visit brettrainer.com. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.